Hey everyone, and welcome back to Caffeine and Cats, a creepy podcast. I'm your co-host Abby, along with Caitlin and Lou. Today we want to bring you some creepy tales from within the forest. As always, please follow us on social media. You can find us at Caffeine and Cats Pod on Instagram and Caffeine and Cats Podcast on Facebook. Give us a like and leave a review if you enjoy hearing our stories. Before we get started today, we wanted to bring you guys a new segment where we highlighted hair-raising headlines from around the world. Caitlin, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, so for my hair-raising headline, I found a story from NPR that is about rats that coat themselves in poison. And so it sounds gross and kind of creepy, but then I saw the rats and they're super cute, so I'm going to tell you about them. So (laughs) there is a type of poisonous rat that licks deadly toxins onto its own fur to protect itself from predators. Um, So they are called the African crested rat and they're actually in trouble because a lot of people are trying to kill them and just basically afraid of them because they know what they can do. So a lot of times like if Dogs will attack them, the dogs will get sick and die, and while they knew something was going on with the rats, they didn't really know all the details, so they kind of just thought the rats were like a bad omen or basically just some kind of evil animal. Um, They don't really look like normal rats you'll think of from like New York City or a big city rat. They're about the size of a small skunk, and a lot of that is just fluff, so they're super fuzzy, which is adorable, and their hair is grown in like a honeycomb pattern which I guess helps to hold in the poison. Um, They have been studying these rats more and turns out they're very social animals. They really like being around other people and other rats and a lot of times when they put two strange rats together they're they just act like friends and they bond really fast so I just thought that was adorable. (laughs) Um, So it looks like they're mostly from Africa Um, in the eastern part of Africa and they are just starting to study them now so they're learning more things as they go but no one really knows exactly why they coat themselves in poison besides the trying to get predators away from them which seems like a pretty good reason to me right (laughs) I have to agree (laughs) and other than that um, it's just a little creepy headline so I'll go ahead and Um, I might post an extra picture just because they're really, really adorable. And if you are interested, you can go ahead and find the article on NPR yourself. Yeah, I'm Googling them right now, and they're super cute. (laughs) Aren't they? (laughs) I want one. Yeah. (laughs) I'll have to pull them up and look. They're really cute, and they're really odd looking. I mean, the the fur, in in fact, it is really odd how it grows, but it's really, really cute. Yeah, but the, it's, yes. it's more like a squirrel, kind of. More that's like. what they're saying. It's more like skunk-like, or mm-hmm. I guess squirrel-like, because they've got longer hair like that. But man, they are adorable, and that's really all I want to talk about. So, <laughs> you poisonous rats. What about you, Abby? <laughs> all right. Well, uh, so actually, the story I have for you guys today. I'm sorry. The news I have for you guys today um, is about a mysterious gingerbread monolith that appeared in San Francisco on Christmas Day. I just thought this was an interesting story. Um, So I originally saw it on HuffPost um, News. And so basically someone was running in Christmas park, I'm sorry, somebody was running in the park on Christmas day and they noticed a giant seven foot statue and they weren't quite sure what it was. And as they got closer, um, they started smelling gingerbread 
and they realized it was a monolith made out of gingerbread that was seven foot tall and held together with icing. Um, no, okay. no one's really sure. No one's sure how they how it got there, why it was there, um, or even if it was actually edible. You know, if it was made out of real gingerbread, but they said it smelled like it and it had the texture of gingerbread. And the actually the park manager he he was fine with it being there. He said basically that everybody needed a little bit of magic for Christmas this year. So he said it even made him smile. I just thought it was funny. Just this random gingerbread monolith appeared in the park. And as I was actually looking at the story um, before we got on talking today, I found that apparently, according to the Sacramento Bee, it has unfortunately crumbled away already. Oh. Yeah, That's it looks like, horrible. oh, yep, it was posted today. So it crumbled away today. And they were okay with it. They were going to leave it until it crumbled anyway. Um, I think, oh, quote, the park manager said, we will leave it up until the cookie crumbles. <laughs> So yeah, that's all I had for you. I just thought it was funny. Who knows who put it there and why? I like that story. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Me too. Right, Lou, do you want to go ahead and tell us yours? <laughs> yeah, actually mine is not as cute or as odd, but still yummy as both of you got. I mean, I chose mine based on the fact that we're talking about woods. Um, <laughs> so I was Googling around and I've stumbled upon the story of Gia Fuda. Gia is 18 years old and was driving on US Highway 2 on Maple Valley, Washington, southeast of Seattle on July 24th when she noticed that her gas light came on. So she stopped by the side of the road and decided to get help on foot. Um, Apparently she did so for like 1.75 miles and then turned into the woods trying to get a signal on her phone or just in panic in search of a shortcut to a bridge that will lead her to uh, Sky Sky Kamish. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. So I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, now, the only problem is that she was on the wrong side of the road and the nearest gas station was a good 10 miles away. Her car was found the following day. Inside, I've read that they found her purse and her sh- and the sweatshirt that she was wearing that day, but she was nowhere to be found, nor her phone. Eight days later, on Saturday morning, they found Gia's Bible, clothing, and car keys in the grass near a creek. About a quarter mile from her belongings, they found her, sitting down on a rock by a a steep ravine. She was conscious and talking, but very disoriented. She was 1.2 miles away from her car. She's fine now and back to her family, but she was very surprised to find out that she had been missing for over a week when she went for her. She was... Uh, she thought it was only three days. Um, now, researching the news, I found a lot of speculations on this, mainly on Reddit, since no one really knows why she was up there to begin with and with bags in her car, like she was moving away. Also, that eight days is a lot, even though she survived on water from the creek and berries from the area. Again, there's a big, big difference between eight and three days. So I found this really interesting, uh, mainly because why she was there to begin with, um, and second, what really happened to her. Wow. I say it's aliens. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really recent. I mean, she she was found in August. That is crazy. Yep. Well, I wouldn't, you know, put it past 2020 to pull some crazy stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> I was reporting about aliens like not that long ago. 
I swear that was a thing. Well, the thing is, it's I, always a thing. <laughs> I looked, I looked into the area in Google Earth where she was found, and we alleged where her car was found, and then one point two miles in, and I mean, she just walked right into the woods. Why? I mean, why go that way? I mean, either way you right. go, it's woods, but she had to cross over uh, a clear area where the phone lines go through and then keep walking and walking. And she's like right in between the valley. And if she kept walking, she will, I mean, she will be completely and utterly lost and never be found. But it's it's really interesting. I mean, I'll I'll get you the coordinates of how I found. I mean, the ones I got, and it's really interesting to see the path. And again, aliens. <laughs> yeah, I vote for aliens. Yep, or a cult. Uh, I'd have to say, very true. Yeah. But would All a cult right. keep someone for that short time? Probably not. <laughs> I didn't think they gave people back. <laughs> Maybe she didn't pass the test. Uh oh. Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Caitlin, why don't do you want to go ahead and get started with your creepy tale from within the forest? I will. So for my story today, it's actually multiple stories. Um, I basically just picked a place where a lot of people go disappearing, and it's, usually they never reappear. So today I'm going to be talking about the Great Smoky Mountains and some of the disappearance that have happened within. Um, I wanted to start with just a little background on the Great Smoky Mountains and the national park that's there. So the Great Smoky Mountains are along the Tennessee and North Carolina border and cover a large expanse of land that includes 187,000 acres of forage. And it is called the Smoky Mountain because of the fog that frequently covers up the mountains, which usually looks like smoke from far away. It is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site, home to many different plants and animals. And the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is the most visited national park within the United States, receiving around 10 million visitors a year. It isn't very common for visitors to get lost within the mountains and within the park, but most are located within the first 48 hours. However, there are still plenty of people who are never located or are not found alive, unfortunately, earning the area a very sinister reputation. And today, like I said, I'm going to be sharing some of the most intriguing stories I found surrounding the Great Smoky Mountains. So the first one is the story of Dennis Martin. And on June 14, 1969, six-year-old Dennis Martin was out in the Great Smoky Mountains with his family for their annual camping and hiking trip. The family had decided to stop at a grassy mountain highland meadow along the Appalachian Trail known as Spence Field. While the adults were sitting out on the grass, the children, including Dennis, thought it would be funny to pull a prank on them. They decided to split up and head into the woods and all jump out at the same time to scare the grown-ups. Three of the boys went one way, one way while Dennis went the other. The reasoning behind this was because Dennis was wearing a bright red shirt and it was easier to see him. As planned, the three older boys jumped out and frightened the adults. Following their little prank, one of the men asked where Dennis was, and since the other kids had just seen him, they assumed he had just missed his cue, but he never appeared. Dennis's father, Bill, went out to find his son, thinking he was hiding in the bushes, but there was no sign of him, and he wasn't responding to any of their frantic calls. 
Bill and Dennis's grandfather, Clyde, decided to hike out in different directions in search of the missing boy, but after not finding him, they informed the park rangers and a search was launched, which would continue until nightfall. Unfortunately, that at that time, heavy rain began to fall and the search had to be called off until the next day. In an odd twist of events, a few hours after Dennis went missing, a family reported that they had seen him hiking six miles away when oh, they had been hiking six miles away when they heard a boy scream. The son had also claimed to have seen movement in a nearby bush, and while he thought it was a bear at first, it was actually a man walking through the woods carrying something over his shoulder. The park rangers later determined that it was too far away to have been Dennis, and it was unlikely that it had been related to his disappearance because he wouldn't have been able to travel six miles within that amount of time. Because let's all remember, he's six years old, and if you've ever walked with a six-year-old before, they don't go very fast. Um, despite continuing searches, the authorities were unable to find any sign at all of Dennis, and to this day, he has never been found. Um, the next story I'd like to cover is going to be the story of Trenny Lynn Gibson. On October 8, 1976, Trenny Lynn Gibson, a 16-year-old sophomore from Knoxville, was on a field trip with about 40 of her classmates. As the students were hiking to a location known as Andrews Bald, they began to form smaller groups based on their speed. At approximately 3 o'clock p.m., the group noticed that Trenny was missing. Despite the location being far from remote and surrounded with people, no one has seen her disappear. And they began to do a intense search, but unfortunately, Trenny Gibson was never seen again. And then the next story is the story of Thelma Pauline Melton. On September 25th, 1981, Thelma Pauline Melton, a 58-year-old that was usually referred to as Polly, was hiking with two friends near Deep Creek Campground. Melton had been hiking the easy trail for over 20 years, so she knew it well. The trio were enjoying the leisurely hike when Melton rounded a bend and was never seen again. Making the whole situation even stranger were the facts that Melton was overweight, had high blood pressure, and was taking medication for nausea, making it even more likely that she would have been able to get far quickly. Being unable to drive because of medical reasons also means that she couldn't have just driven off into the sunset and people that knew her said that she was happy and well-adjusted with no discernible reason to want to vanish. Again, another huge search was launched and again, no sign of Melton was found and she remains missing. Following that is the disappearance of Michael Huron. In 2008, 51-year-old Michael Huron said goodbye to his family and took off in his truck to visit some nearby forest land that lied within the boundary of the Great Smoky Mountains. When he didn't come home as scheduled, the authorities began a search for him. His truck was found abandoned in a clearing with the ignition still on. No traces of Huron were found in the area surrounding the clearing. Making it even creepier, their dogs were unable to pick up a scent, and authorities couldn't find any clothing fragments, nor blood or tissue, nor bones, nor any other sign of struggle. It was like he had just been, never even been there. To this day, he also remains missing. And then, following up that case, there is a story of Derek Joseph Lukin. In March 2012, 24-year-old Derek Joseph Lukin didn't show up to work and phone calls to him went unanswered. Two days later, authorities discovered that Lukin had checked out of a hotel in Cherokee, North Carolina on March 17th. A security camera captured him wearing a backpack, and that would be the last time anyone would see him. 
After this lead, his family went out to look for him and by chance found his car in a parking lot of a nature area. Inside the car was a bunch of recently purchased survival gear, food, a survival belt, pages from military survival manual, and his wallet. And to make it even more disturbing, they found a note in Lukin's car saying, don't try to follow me. Ignoring the note, they did try to follow him and launched another intensive search. Campers and hikers in the area were interviewed by rangers, and despite the crowds brought by the sunny Saturday, no one could remember seeing him. His family claimed that Lukin had been a big fan of Man vs. Wild, a show where host Bear Gillis, Gillis is dropped off into the wilderness with little to no survival gear, and he has to make his way back to civilization using his survival skills. This leads to authorities believing that he may have been trying to copy the show and left things behind to make it more difficult like it was in the show. Another theory is that he went off to commit suicide. The day of his disappearance was also the one-year one anniversary of his grandfather's passing, a family member with whom he had been very close to, so perhaps he went off without any intention to return. But that then leads to the question as to why would he buy all that new gear? Other theories are that he intended to go scout the trail before returning for the equipment, but somehow got lost along the way, that he was possibly attacked by some animal, or that he was kidnapped. To this day, Derek remains missing. Then our next story is, it's a disappearance, but it's also kind of like a Bigfoot cryptid story, so it's interesting. Ooh, um, okay. So... On June 5th, 2014, Paul D. Parr entered the Wallasee Wee Interpretive Center and tried to give the clerk $200 to watch his car for him. When she asked how long he would be gone, he responded four to six months. A couple of days later, hikers about a quarter of a mile away from the center came across a backpack in the middle of the trail, seemingly carefully placed there. It looked like it had not been moved for quite a while and it was given to the authorities. The pack was filled with gear like hiking boots, tent, sleeping bag, a GPS, a GoPro, a wallet, and an ID, and around $3,000 in cash. Porter's girlfriend stated that he'd been having some mental issues lately, talking about wanting to take a sabbatical, and that he had taken out about $5,000 before he went missing. He had even prepared for the hike, but left all of the things he had prepared behind. The authorities posted flyers asking for help and advised hikers not to approach him because he might be suicidal. They soon started receiving reports of sightings. They claimed to have seen a man wearing khaki shorts, a t-shirt, and flip-flops. Some spotted him sleeping in a plastic bag, but other hikers did speak to him and were told that he planned to hike 2,000 miles north to Mount... I might butcher this name, so my apologies. Katadin in Maine. This man was seen multiple times along the Appalachian Trail. One person even said that they shared a shelter with him and that the man read the New Testament and talked about finding God in the pathway of the mountains. Other witnesses also mentioned that he rambled about religion. Authorities started to search the trail where Parr was last spotted, interviewing campers, hikers, people at hostels and park employees, but never found the man. On June 17th, he was sighted 100 miles away at Westerbald, and the witness told authorities that they spoke with Poor for hours and that he had a black duffel bag and some pots with him. I'm assuming by that they meant cooking pots. 
Um, to this day, sightings of the man are still reported. One recent witness stated that he was barefoot. Regardless of the sightings, since authorities have not been able to locate him, he remains classified as missing. Even though the remains of the missing people in all of our previous stories were never found, some other missing person cases within the region have more tragic endings. The next story we're going to talk about is Jenny Bennett. On June 1st, 2015, Jenny Bennett, a 62-year-old writer, hiker, and generally outdoorsy person, missed an appointment with her movers that she was working with to move from North Carolina to be closer to her sister in Vermont. Bennett couldn't be located and was declared to be missing. On June 8th, her abandoned car was located at Porter Creek Trailhead, and the following morning, her body was discovered in a creek near a remote campsite. Authorities figured that she had planned one final hike along the Porter's Creek, a path that she had visited often in Newell. The area where her body had been found was considered a very safe and boring route that Bennett, the bold and brave adventurer, would have likely avoided. It was also a struggle to determine what had caused her death. She was discovered sitting up against a rock in shallow water, almost as if she'd reclined there to rest. She also had minor bruises seemingly caused by a fall, but no more serious signs of injury were found. The only conclusions the authorities were able to rule out were that she had been attacked by an animal or that there had been foul play involved. Three months later, autopsy reports were released and Bennett's cause of death was discovered. Her injuries had not been life-threatening. Her cause of death was environmental hypothermia caused by the immersion and exposure to the cold water and toxic levels of antihistamine slash sleep aid found in her system. They were unable to determine if the overdose was accidental or done on purpose. Those who know Bennett personally were skeptical that she'd committed suicide. Not every person who gets lost goes unfound or found dead. And a recent example of this is the story of Austin Bohannon. On August 11, 2017, 18-year-old Austin Bohannon was searching for ginseng, which is illegal because it is illegal to remove plants from national parks. He was with his stepfather, Hubert Dyer Jr., when the pair got separated from each other in the Shop Creek area of the park. Bohan wasn't reported missing until August 13th because the family thought they would be able to find him. After being separated from Dyer, Bonahan climbed a ridge and tried over and over to call his mother, though the calls never went through, and Bonahan would sleep there that night. On day two, he would leave the ridge and follow creeks for days. After two or three days of following creeks, he realizes he needed to go to the other direction and began to travel in the opposite way. At one point, Bonahan even heard one of the search helicopters but was unable to grab the attention of the pilot. Surviving on only water, the teen did not give up hope. On the morning of August 22nd, 11 days after he had gone missing, he woke up on the ridge where Panther and Abrams Creek meet. After rushing down to the bottom, he was able to flag down a boat which rescued him and brought him home. After surviving 11 days, which is just crazy to me, it was mind-blowing, he was released after being assessed at the local hospital within hours, so he had no serious injury and nothing to keep him in the hospital for even overnight. So next, we're going to talk about possible explanations, like what is going on? Why do all these people keep disappearing? 
Um, right. That's a lot of people. And I'm sure there's many more that we didn't even, you know, touch oh, on. These were just a handful and it goes back. I mean, my oldest story was what, the 60s? So I'm sure a lot of people went missing there before that too. Right. Um, so the Great Smoky Mountains aren't the only national parks that seem to swallow people up. Many of those who do end up going missing are usually inexperienced and may simply end up getting themselves into situations they don't know how to survive. Um, On top of that, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park itself is filled with untamed wilderness with sudden drops, flash flash flooding, difficult terrain, and wild animals. These attributes could take out even the most experienced hikers. And like I said at the beginning, it is also the most visited national park, so logically more visitors means more incidents. Um, There are certain books and one example that I like is the Missing 411 series by David Polides that have really brought this issue to light and have inspired a lot of different conspiracy theories such as black holes, government cover-up, Bigfoot attacks, and alien abductions. Um, while obviously there's no one definitive explanation, it is really an interesting um, mystery and occurrence and I personally would love to read more and Hopefully we'll be able to do another episode about it. Oh yeah, I feel like we could like really dive deep right. into oh, that. For sure. Have you guys seen the, the the picture? It was shown on Twitter not I mean long ago, but it showed a map showing the people missing. I mean that suddenly disappeared uh, on the top and on the bottom it's the same map, but showing caves. Oh, I think I have Ooh. seen something similar to that before. And a lot of it I think they have a point. First off, for this one alone, it is the most visited. Like, you're going to get, what was that number, 10 million visitors a year? Right. People are going to go missing, especially, like, younger children. I personally know if I got lost in the woods, I'd probably be screwed. Like, I don't have those survival techniques. No, I'm really not. I mean, I like being outside, but I do not have survival techniques at all. Yeah, so I can understand a lot of those going missing. Um but then there are eerie cases, like the guy who left behind all his newly purchased equipment, um, the hiker that was found dead, um, but that could have also been an overdose, so just a lot of unanswered questions, and I think it's kind of fascinating, so that is my oh, yeah. very long story. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing with us. Um, I have one for you guys today. It's actually really short. Um, there, we, there's not a whole lot of information. Um, so mine, I'll start. Um, it's a boy, a little boy. He was 12 years old uh, named Jared Negrate. He was last seen on July 19th, 1991. Um, so he actually disappeared in San Bernardino County, California. Uh, so Negrate was actually a Boy Scout And he had gone on a camping trip with his whole troop, um, or his whole pack, I'm sorry, (laughs) Um, which was the first trip that he would actually spend overnight. So he had never actually been camping overnight before. And he somehow got separated from his group. Um, There's a few different reports that either like he had to tie a shoe or he was tired. Um, You know, he just couldn't keep up. But all of a sudden when they went back for him, he was was gone and they couldn't find him anymore. Um, They had a search party for him and they were able to comb the area and find um, I think over a 19 day period uh, the place where he disappeared was called Mount San Gorgonio so they found a pair of let's see it was um, 
shoe prints that matched his. They also found a backpack, some candy and beef jerky wrappers, um, even a camera that had 12 pictures on it that he took. Even one of the pictures is to have said to be taken after he got separated from his pack. Um, but after a long, extensive search, he's never been found. That is crazy. Yeah. I think, yeah. Poor baby. I mean, there's not, there. you know, we don't know much else about it. He just got lost from his friends and was never seen. I think especially when it involves younger children like that. I mean, it's sad, but children don't really think logically, so it'd probably be easier just for them to kind of keep wandering, thinking that maybe they'll find their way out and get lost even right. more. I mean, I know that was so long ago, but I feel like I would not have just let him fall behind by himself. Well, as a Cub Scout leader, because that's also what I like to do in my free time, (laughs) um, there is a set rule, and I don't know how long the rule has been around, but when you are going on hikes, which I have taken groups of like 20 children on hikes before, it is horrible. um, There is supposed to be an adult in the front, an adult in the back. The kids aren't supposed to be able to Pass the Wander front of the doll, nor fall behind the the doll in the, the back. back. So, if something like that had been implemented, this probably would have never happened. But like I said, I don't know how long that's been a rule. But that's definitely right. one of the ones I follow. Even though when we go hiking, it's in very small parks. There's really nowhere for these children to go. But it makes me feel better, and I'm sure other parents to know that they are always have some kind of set of eyes on them, and they're not just wandering wherever they want to go. Right. Um, I was a little confused. So um, I was reading on the Charlie Project. I'm not sure um, if you guys are familiar with that, but you should definitely look at it if you're not. It's all about missing people um, and their stories. But I was reading, um, it almost sounded like maybe Jared, it was, he only got tired about a thousand feet from the top. So they were, they were um, hiking to the top and coming back down. And what it sounds like was maybe they expected that he would still be in the same spot when they got back. So I don't know if maybe he was like, I'm going to go ahead and try to complete the hike. And maybe he got lost somewhere or maybe someone found him. I mean, I guess we'll never know. Right. Still, it's very bad to leave him behind. It's so, I mean, I, I almost got chills when I was reading that they found a camera and the picture was taken after he went missing. It was just um, only his nose and eyes that you could see in the picture. Well, there was another similar thing. And I think it was Norway. It was somewhere over there. The two girls were, maybe they were from Norway. Anyways, no, they I were from Norway and they, were, they got lost in, I think, either Peru or Bolivia. One of the, yeah, I know the story. Okay, and they had pictures on their camera as well, and I think the theory on that was that they were trying to use the flash as light. Right. That makes sense. I saw someone on um, Reddit was talking that that could be a potential, you know, theory. Maybe he was using that to see where he was going. But still creepy. Like, I would not want to be the person that found those pictures. No. I mean, like I said, when they said that, I just had chills. Poor baby. He would be 42 years old today. Oh, that's extra sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, Abby, do you want to take us out? Yes. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to our stories. Um, of course, we'll be adding photos and our sources to our social media posts. 
If you have any comments or even suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to reach out to us at caffeineandcatspod at gmail.com. We hope you guys have a great week and a happy new year, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.